This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Uh, the second uh, Bible reading is from the New Testament, from Philippians. Uh, it's on page 831 of your pew Bibles. Um, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks, Mick. Thank you, Carissa. I'm Steve. Welcome along to church tonight. Please uh, keep your Bibles open to Philippians. We're going to continue our time in God's Word there tonight. Let me ask you this question. Who is the most humble person you know? Who is the most humble person you know? How would you spot a humble person? Now, what does a, a humble person look like? Humility is something that is, I think, often misunderstood and gets a bit of a, a bum rap with wrong ideas uh, in our society today. You know, is humility someone who is just consumed with their own inferiority? Is, is a humble person someone who's weak and timid and indecisive? Is a humble person someone who just can't take a compliment. You know, you say, oh, you did a great job tonight. Oh, no, I didn't. It was terrible. It's the worst job that's ever been done. <laughs> Is that a humble person? Now, last week we looked at the topic of pride and we defined pride as having, having my ego at the centre of the universe. And the problem with that? Well, God exists at the centre of the universe. And we read from James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so tonight we turn to the, the topic of humility, a topic uh, that God speaks frequently about. Constantly in the Word we read that humility is something that God loves. God gives grace to the humble. God looks favorably on the humble. God exalts the humble. Jesus said in Matthew 23, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But what does humility look like? Here's my definition. Humility is knowing our place before God and lowering ourselves in obedience to God for the good of others. 
Humility is knowing our place before God and lowering ourselves in obedience to God for the good of others. John Stott said that at every stage of our Christian development, in every step of our Christian discipleship following after Jesus, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. So let me pray for us tonight as we get to know this friend that God would help us to be humble people. Uh, Father, uh, look, you know the, the lack of humility in, in my heart. Father, you know where we each struggle with pride and where we are far from the humble people that we ought to be, but you've spoken to us through your precious word. And we pray in your kindness and through your spirit tonight you would teach us what it means to be humble we may honour you with these lives that you have ransomed for us through Jesus. Amen. Uh, Friends, please, let's turn and continue our time in Philippians chapter 2. This this chapter is, I think, the most spectacular image of humility imaginable. There is no greater description of humility than what we read in these verses in Philippians 2. And so what we're going to do now is just walk through these verses from verse 6 to see what humility looks like. Paul is encouraging the Philippians in verse 5 to model their lives, to have the same attitude of Jesus. And he says in verse 6, Jesus being in very nature God. Right up front. Paul is establishing exactly who Jesus is, so there will be no confusion. Jesus is, in very nature, God. We read elsewhere in Colossians, Jesus, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is God. But we keep reading, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't grasp after being treated like God. He didn't hang on to the privilege of being acknowledged as God. He didn't cling to the privileges he deserves as God. Oh, it is his right to be Honoured and acknowledged and worshipped for the God that he is. But he doesn't grasp after it. He gives it up. He gives these rights, these privileges that he deserves. He gives them up. And what does he give them up to become? Verse 7. He made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God becomes a servant, taking on human flesh, human likeness, becoming like us. God, the one who spoke the world into being, the God who created all things, the one for whom and through whom all things exist, becomes like us. He made himself nothing. 
Oh, that is the height that he descends to for God to become like a man, making himself nothing. How do we describe the depths of the descent that God took to come from the Godhead and to become like us? How do we describe that? How do we get our heads around what he did? One commentator described it as like the emperor of Rome becoming a fly. Oh, what a pitiful descent. And yet even that illustration is pathetic at describing the descent that God took when he made himself nothing and became a man like you and like me. And as Jesus enters this world, he isn't parachuted in to sit on a throne to receive the adulation and the adoration and the worship and the glory that are his, worthy of these things into all of eternity. He comes as a servant. As a servant. The God who is worthy of all devotion comes to devote himself to me and to you. It's staggering, isn't it? Jesus said in Mark 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God came to serve us. And we read in verse 8 that being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, here we see the breathtaking humility, the breathtaking extent of the service that God was willing to undertake for you. He was willing to be obedient to God the Father all the way to death on a cross. That was the extent of his humility. To create the world and then to be crucified by the very world he created. The very people you gave breath to remove the breath from your lungs. It is simply not possible to come down from a higher height and descend to a lower depth than to be God and to come into flesh and to die. Charles Spurgeon writes of Jesus, Was he not on earth always stripping off first one robe of honour and then another, till naked he was fastened to the cross, and there did he not empty out his inmost self, pouring out his lifeblood, giving up for all of us, till they laid him penniless in a borrowed grave. How low was our dear Redeemer brought? How low. Why? Why would this God, our God, go through this humiliation to give his life as a ransom for many? To give his life as a ransom for many. For me, for you, for people who have sinned and owe God an unimaginably large debt, a debt we could never hope to repay. 
and Jesus came to pay your ransom. Isn't it staggering that God would do that for you? But Jesus didn't stay dead. And as we read in verse 9, God the Father raised him from the grave. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was exalted. Jesus came down from on high, humbling himself to death to pay that ransom that we could never repay. And he was raised to life exalted to the highest place to receive the adulation and the worship that he deserves. It's magnificent. Magnificent news. This is the good news that we believe in the gospel and it humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us to see the extent of our sin that required God to go from on high and come down and become like us. And it humbles us to see the extent of God's love that would bring him that low for us. Do you see the humility of Jesus in obedience to God the Father and in love for us? Thank you, Jesus. Return to verse 3. Because Jesus humbled himself and he leads us in the way of humility. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Our brothers and sisters, as we pursue humility, we are adopting the very attitude of our Saviour Jesus. What a model, what an example for us to follow after. I love it that Jesus always shows us the way. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He says, serve one another, and then he washes his disciples' feet. He says, be humble, and he humbles himself to death on a cross. At every step of the way on our Christian life, we are walking a well-trodden route that has already been walked by our Saviour. He has gone ahead of us, and he shows us the way of humility. And what does this look like for us? to follow after Jesus in humility. Now this is a huge topic. And let me just say up front, it's impossible to explore the depths of what humility looks like in a 25-minute talk. And I'm going to share some resources on our website for you to continue to explore this week. But I just want to look at two ways that Jesus shows us humility, two ways that he leads us in this path 
The first is this. The humble person considers others. The humble person considers others. There is a common misperception that humility involves dwelling on your own inferiority. And the gospel does humble us as we realize who we are. But C.S. Lewis makes this point, and he said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility leads us out of ourselves and onto others. That's the way of Jesus, isn't it? The proud person thinks of themselves a lot. They're always thinking about their own needs, their reputation, how they will be served, how their needs will be met, how they can be more comfortable. But the humble person considers others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now, this doesn't mean making some kind of false moral assessment of others. You know, Jesus looked at us, didn't see that we were morally superior to him. No, he just decided to consider, to consider our interests better than his own, to put those ahead of his own, to put our interests before him. Humility stops our lives from being all about ourselves and our own ambition and puts others ahead of us. As we pursue humility, we look around at others, and instead of looking around tonight saying, what can I get from these people? We say, what can I give? How can I serve these people here tonight? Instead of saying, on Saturday night, how can I have my needs met? Humility says, how can I meet the needs of others? Instead of thinking, how can my interests and goals be advanced? Humility says, how can I advance the interests of others? How countercultural is this? Oh, Jesus always causes us to clash with the culture we live in. As here, we, we stop thinking about ourselves, our culture that is all about me. Look after number one. You're worth it. Put your interests first. If you don't look after yourself, who will? Humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Friends, what will this look like for you? To, in humility, stop thinking about yourself and to consider everyone else as better than yourself, to put their interests ahead of your own, to humbly consider them as Jesus considered us. What will this look like for you? You know, Paul, Paul mentioned tonight, uh, again, as we progress in our plans for the building project, and look, humility is one of the driving forces that drives our attitude towards this project. Because as we develop this building and improve this building, we're not looking out just for our own interests. We're looking for the interests of others. For the person who doesn't yet know Jesus, who will one day walk into this building so they can hear what's going on and they can hear that Jesus died to pay their ransom. We're doing things here, not just for ourselves, 
not just for this current generation, for the generations, decades to come. In humility, we'll consider others better than ourselves and make this building a place that is wonderful for many years to come and is the centre for gospel proclamation for decades. We're going to do that if we consider the needs of others and place them before our own. Secondly, the humble person serves others. Humble person considers others. The humble person serves others. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. Friends, if anyone deserved to come into this world and be served, it's Jesus. If anyone had the right to come down to take on human flesh and say, everybody, serve me, God would have the right to say that. But he doesn't. He comes to serve us. To give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, the life of Jesus was a life and a mission of humble service. Constantly considering others better than himself. Constantly looking to their needs. And as we have this example of Jesus before us and the power of Jesus inside us, how can our lives be anything but lives consumed with humble service? How can we be puffed up with pride, advancing our own interests when we have benefited eternally from the humble service of Jesus? And again, this is so countercultural, isn't it? We want to work our way into a position in society where we can have other people working for us and serving us. We want to have enough money so that people can dry clean our clothes, wash our car, clean our house, clean our homes, make our food. It is a culture of service. We pay other people to serve us so that we don't have to serve. And yet Jesus says the walking in the way of humility is service. Friends, can you see how beautiful our our church would be, our world would be, characterized by this humble service that is modeled by Jesus? Can you imagine what our world would be like living that out? It's wonderful. Everyone not clamoring to have things the way they want, but always looking for an opportunity to serve. What would our church look like if if individually and collectively we weren't about me and my needs and what I'd like to have and feel and experience and know and we're all about serving others? What would it look like if we came to church, every one of us, and, and our attitude as we arrive at church is, who can I serve tonight? How can I serve? How can I get my hands dirty and just show that love to others as Jesus has served me? What would it look like if after church is finished, we just go, how can I serve? What, what needs to be done? Who's here and they're just, they're just struggling at the moment and I can just serve them and just say a word of encouragement to them? What would that look like if this characterized our gatherings? You know, church has been described as uh, a home and not a hotel. You know, uh, in a hotel, you go to be served, don't you? 
You go to have your needs met. You expect others to attend to your needs. Yeah, no one goes to a hotel and has a dinner in the restaurant downstairs and then pops around to the kitchen and say, anyone need a hand with washing up? Because, yeah, I'm paying someone to do that. No one notices that the walls of the hotel room are looking a bit shabby and pops down to Bunnings and touches them up. I paid for that. I'm not going to touch it. No one bothers in a hotel to go and pick up rubbish or fix up the plates left out to housekeeping. That's someone else's job. But brothers and sisters, church isn't a hotel. Church is a house, it's a home, it's a family. Family of believers who serve one another in the way of Jesus. Whether humbly, rich or poor, whether you're the most awesome lawyer in the world or whether you do something street sweeper during the week, whatever we, our position might be in the world, we come here to serve one another. Why? Because we have been served humbly by Jesus. When I think about service, about humbly serving in the way that we've read tonight, I think about Jesus. But a couple of other people here come to mind. And I say this not to embarrass them, but to inspire you about what service looks like. I think of people like Lizzie Williamson, who just serve relentlessly wherever there is an opportunity to help others out. And even this afternoon, I get a message at 2 o'clock. Hey, can I come down to church early and set anything up? Is there anything I can do? Awesome. Humble servant following after Jesus. I think of my brother, Mike, who's here nearly every Saturday of the year for five or six hours, preparing, practicing, setting up so that we can worship God in song. And praise God for Mike, a humble servant following in the way of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what a privilege it is to serve in the way that Jesus has shown us. What will it look like for you to put your interests aside, to look out for others and to serve them? Let me share with you, to close, a a quote from, another quote from, from Spurgeon, reminding us of the beauty of this humility that we have seen and inspiring us to go out and to live lives of humility like Jesus. He says this, If you do not lie prostrate on the ground before that cross, you have never seen it. If you're not humbled in the presence of Jesus, you do not know him. You are so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten. Think of that. As Jesus stooped for you, bow yourself in lowliness at his feet. A sense of Christ's amazing love to us has a greater tendency to humble us than even a consciousness of our own guilt. May the Lord bring us in contemplation to Calvary. Then our position will no longer be that of the pompous man of pride, but we shall take the humble place of one who loves much because much has been forgiven him. Pride cannot live beneath the cross. Let us sit there and let us learn our lesson and then let us rise and carry it into place.